welcome to season three of the Nomadic Gregors podcast. I'm Anna. I'm Cameron. And in this podcast, we explore the intricacies of living abroad and international education, our experiences, some tips and tricks if you are curious about this world of living abroad, what international education looks like, and some of our adventures along the way. I can't quite believe that we're starting season three. No, we didn't take a huge break between season two and three, but that's okay. But mostly, we really started this podcast to see if we could keep it going, and I think that we found really good reasons to keep it going. So to those of you that have reached out and said that the information was helpful or have recommended it to anyone, we really appreciate the feedback, and we hope that if you think that it continues to be helpful, you will share with others. Remember to like and subscribe on YouTube, rate and review on Spotify and the other platforms where you may get the best podcasts. Yeah. So we're going to take one more season, at least this time around, and continue to focus on international education. Um, and then we may transfer, or transfer, I guess, switch back to uh, expatery. Evolve and into expatery. No, just totally change. made switch, up word by us. Switch ex back. Ex Not evolve. We've already been oh, here. that's right. We started. We we started with expatery. Yeah. So we would be returning to expatery. Yeah. So for this season, as I said, we'll, we'll focus on uh, international education, but more the nitty gritty, less of the you're going abroad for the first time. Now it's uh, you're there. Here's what you can expect. Here's how things might work. We'll look at curriculum, we'll look at uh, maintaining your teaching license, uh, we can, you know, so that'll, we'll look at, what else do we have, um, international calendars, work workloads, cultural norms and differences, Yeah. just some of those kinds of things. But for this first episode, we are sort of transitioning back to last uh, season, where we're going to go in depth as to what you might look at and really hope for in an international school package. On that note, if you want to keep a cheat sheet or visual aid on some of the things that we cover on this episode as far as what are those essentials, kind of normal to expect in an international schools package, you can go to our website, nomadicgregors.com, and on our free resources session, we have a cheat sheet for you with those essentials on compensation packages in international schools. Yeah. So for this episode, as I said, we'll look at packages. We'll talk about some of the big, we'll talk about, not some, but the big items. Housing, utilities, uh, I guess it's under housing, housing, flights, taxes, uh, professional development, shipping allowance, uh, work hours, workload, not how to manage it, but just maybe what to expect. and What's um, in the contract and what's the fine print? Yeah, and you know, uh, some things that you might look out for that are country specific, such as country uh, severances, pensions, things like that. So to start with, we'll start with the biggest, I think the biggest aspect of teaching abroad and far as money and packages goes, aside from your base salary, is your housing. Yeah, Especially that, if you're coming from your home country, that's where the bulk of your savings will oftentimes come. Exactly. Um, if you've been paying any attention to the news or any attention to your own rental bill or mortgage, you may have noticed that mortgages and rent and housing costs in general are probably the biggest item for most people in their budgets. So when you go abroad into an international school and either assign housing or a housing allowance is part of your compensation package and is not gonna come out of your salary, that means that there's a significant percentage of your salary that you are using for housing right now that you won't have to use once you go abroad. And that opens a lot of possibilities in terms of what you could do with that money, but it also means that Housing becomes a little bit less of a choice for you. That could change over time, but it's it has its pros and cons. There are two sides to that coin. Yeah, we paid nearly a quarter. We paid around twenty five thousand dollars for our apartment in Hawaii, and um, now we don't. 
Exactly. So when you go from, oh, I'm paying this much in rent and all of a sudden you're not, then that's a big consideration. Or you could find yourself in a position where I'm paying this much from my mortgage that comes from my salary plus all my other expenses to moving abroad and maybe being able to maintaining your mortgage back home with a lot more ease because you're not paying for two portions of housing. You have your housing abroad covered, so maybe whatever you would have paid for housing with your salary abroad then can be just dedicated to making sure that your mortgage is paid at home and depending on how much it is, maybe there's maybe even a little bit of room for extra savings or maybe paying off your mortgage a little faster. I'm confused with what you said there. What do you mean? Well, so I mean, the idea of they go abroad, so the mortgage, mm -hmm. that doesn't change. That's what I'm saying, but instead of going abroad and paying for housing plus mortgage... I would, I would liken it more to moving to another city where you are, where you're renting. What do you mean by that? Versus, um, because when you go abroad and you're not, you're not paying for housing, like, it's essentially, you essentially end up being the same, except that... It's like going. It's like moving to another city where you would be renting, but now you're not. Not necessarily, because when you go, when you are paying for housing at home, that is part of your salary equation. Abroad, it's not. Your housing is covered completely outside of your salary. True. I, Even uh, if you get a housing allowance. No, I agree. But I'm talking about it with the mortgage back home. It ends up being the same. Like you might make fifty thousand dollars, pay a mortgage and then $50,000 pay a mortgage. Essentially, you're just getting a place extra to live for free. I guess. I, I, guess my, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you go and teach abroad, you may not have any extra savings, per se, with a mortgage. It depends on what it comes to um, with the salary that you have. Yeah, it, it does. Because you might go into a much higher salary where you're not paying taxes versus a smaller salary at home where you were paying taxes. So your savings potential, even with a mortgage abroad, could potentially be higher. It could, but it could also be lower. Yeah, of course. And that's but, what I said, depending on the salary that you're going into. But anyway, so our bigger focus as far as savings versus housing goes is for those of you that are renting. Because that you won't maintain while you are abroad. But with the mortgage, what a lot of people tend to do is then rent out their place back home. Yeah. So then essentially you've negated your housing back home and your rent is covered where you are. Right. So when you move abroad, we've mentioned this in previous seasons, there are basically two models of housing that you may be walk walking into. You're either walking into assigned housing <clears throat> where your rent is directly paid to the landlord. You are not part of that negotiation. The school, depending on the size of your family, excuse me, is going to assign you a size of housing from a couple of different types probably. Um, or you are going to receive a housing allowance, which is it's going to be a stipend paid to your salary, paid to your paycheck, where you find your own place and you pay your rent on your own. So... In some places, that kicks in after year two. That's That's been our experience. You are in assigned housing for year one, and then year two, in some places, you can access a housing allowance and then go find your own place. When we were in Shanghai, for example, that was the case. Many of our, of our friends chose to move closer to the city, chose to move to downtown Shanghai, um, as opposed to the outskirts where we lived, and they used their housing allowance for that. With few exceptions, pretty much any school you go to, um, I know there's a few schools in Hong Kong and Western Europe, but with pretty much few exceptions, when you go your first year, you're going to be in school-provided housing um, because you're going to only have a week or so to get settled in, and most schools are not putting the onus on you to go find somewhere to live while moving to a new country, while starting a new job. Um, whereas if you, you, know, you don't work in education, you say, hey, I want to move to Georgia, you might go scout ahead of time, a couple months, find a place. So pretty much, you can pretty much guarantee that for the first year you'll be living in, in school-provided housing. It may be an apartment, it may be a home, that depends on the country. 
Yeah, and even within school-provided housing, you might also find yourself in two possible situations for the most part. You might find yourself in assigned housing that the school has rented in the near vicinity of the school, or you might find yourself in assigned housing on campus proper, either in a separate building that has been designed and built for faculty housing, or even in the upper floors of your same campuses where maybe your classroom is on the second floor and your apartment is on the fourth floor. Yeah, it's possible. Um, most likely, I think, I only know that, I think the only one we, we had that with was Shanghai, that I've heard that. Well, no, but we've also seen other schools that have moved towards building their own housing to um, reduce costs in terms of providing housing allowances. That's all, that also happens in other parts of the world. It does. Um, those would be like likely your higher tier schools because they can afford it. Um, your your, your mid-tier, lower-tier schools generally can't afford to also, on top of manage a school, then build housing for all their staff. So keep that in mind. Yeah. And, and keep that in mind that too, some of the housing may be outside the city. Yes. So... It's not uncommon for international schools after a period of growth or after a period of time, if they are very old, to move to campuses outside the city. And that will also mean that the housing will be out there as well. So you have to make sure that you understand what the location represents in terms of distance to other things. We've discussed this before. Um, and if you are in on-campus housing, understand that there's going to be very little separation between your work life and your school life. For some people, that is a major deal and that might deter them from going to a specific school. For others, it's more manageable. Yeah, it's really, it's a personal choice. Yeah. Um, we've had friends who've lived on campus who work was done and they completely disassociated from work and it didn't matter that they lived two floors above where they taught. They also had lovely spacious apartments. Yeah, but so it's all possible. Um, you know, when you move into an apartment, you're all, you're going to have furniture and some schools will let you swap furniture out, some schools will not. It depends on the contracts, where you are. Um, but ultimately, I suppose what we're looking at is a school we're looking at packages so we're, we're spending time talking about where you might live but ultimately you want to be at a school where they're going to provide you some form of housing allowance now again that varies you may want Western Europe that won't happen you may want certain schools in more expensive cities perhaps Hong Kong you may not find that or you may be given a small stipend that might not cover the entirety of your rent um, so, but generally, schools throughout the world will offer you housing as part of your package. And or some form of assistance with housing. Yeah, usually into your second or third year at that point. Um, so, when you're signing and looking for schools and signing contracts, discuss uh, your housing situation. You know, can you move if you need to? Can you replace furniture? Because sometimes the furniture can be old. Sometimes it may not mesh well with your body. Maybe you just want to redecorate. Um, so talk to the school about what the housing situation is like. Talk to other colleagues. They can really let you know about whether where you're going to be living is great, mediocre, or... Mm. When it comes to considering the type of housing that you're going to have, you also want to going to think about the kind of space that that represents for the size of your family and whether the furniture ser serves those purposes. Is it going to be necessary, for example, for your kids to share a room? If so, are they going to have enough space or are they going to be crowded? Um, <clears throat> does your housing allow pets? In Like we've discussed in season two, in some countries, pet restrictions are significant and some housing will not allow pets so you might have to modify um, what you either what you expect or what the school can provide depending on the sizing that the school has what we've seen over the years is that most schools will make notes in their profiles in recruitment agencies to indicate whether the size of the housing that they provide allows for families of a certain size so they might say we are not able to hire couples with 
this number of children because of the size of our housing. Or they might say we're not able to hire candidates who are bringing pets because they're not allowed in our housing. Things like those. So keep those things in mind. Pets would be more common. Uh, I don't think we've. I don't know. If we've, have we actually seen schools saying we can't hire families of a certain size because of housing? Yes, we have. Okay, that's pretty rare though, because most schools are pretty open to. Um, I would say most families. Would you agree? Yeah, but it seems like in most international schools, at least what we've seen in practice, is that most families are about four or five at most. So parents with two children, three children. Yeah, I think that, well, I would say that has more to do with tuition than anything else. Yeah, but my point is it's, it's not super common to find a teaching couple, for example, that has more than three children and is going abroad no, with all of those children. No, I agree. Uh, I agree. But anyways, so look at your package and see what kind of housing the school offers. Um, and then the next thing to look at is utilities. If you're in school offered housing... Before we go into utilities, I just wanted to make a quick note in terms of furniture. In general, I think that it's safe to expect that you're going to have Western style furniture. Like you're not going to be necessarily expected to like sit on the floor on a dining room on the Japanese style, for example, and that's the only table that you have. Most of the time, the furniture is going to be fairly westernized. IKEA style furniture is not uncommon. So you can expect that the style of furniture that you see in most places, based on our experience, is going to be fairly familiar. Yeah. Let's get into utilities um, because, again, depending on where you go, that's going to look different and the, and the school's allowances are also going to look different. So if you're in school-provided housing, they'll almost certainly cover internet and have that set up for you when you get there. Um, a good school generally will. They may not all. I would be a little upset if I came to a new school and they didn't have internet ready for me in my apartment. Um, and then utilities itself, heating, uh, water... Uh, air conditioning, if need be, that will vary from place to place. For sure, especially things like heating and air conditioning. That's going to vary from place to place. We've lived in places where we've had all utilities covered, from heating, water, AC, internet, to then moving to our own apartment where we covered everything, heating, water, um, garbage. Well, yeah, I suppose. I, I, yeah. That um, versus schools where we've paid just part. We've paid internet, but we had to pay heating and cooling because that was a variable that wasn't set each month as internet is. So as you sign your contracts and talk to your schools and start to plan out your monthly budgets, talk about what's covered in utilities, talk to other coworkers about what those utilities might cost you each month. When we lived in the Korea, I was initially shocked at our electricity bill because no one told me that there was also, on top of electricity, there was essentially a, what boils down to an HOA fee that was part of the apartment, which ended up being probably another $100 a month. Um, that was not specified, wasn't told to me until we got our first bill, and I was not prepared for that. Yeah, so if you are going to receive uh, stipend as part of your salary that is a utilities allowance ask around and find out if that is enough to cover all utilities or how much extra above the utilities allowance can you expect to have to fork out of your own salary and of course um, what kind of variation can you expect when it comes to using heating in the winter, depending on where you are, or leaving your AC running in the summer or running it all day, which in some places, honestly, is kind of a necessity. In the Chinese summer, in the Korean summer, it's in the Saudi summer, it's about impossible to not have your AC running for the vast majority of your day. So if that cost is going to come out of your salary or out of your utilities allowance, find out what that means in terms of cost. Mm -hmm. So that's, that pretty much covers the housing package. Um, things to look for, things to ask about. The next thing and the other really big part is your flight allowance. And there's all, all good schools should offer you return flight, return airfare uh, to your home of record 
each year. They will generally buy your ticket out uh, for the first time you move to country. That way you can arrive on their schedule, they can pick you up, they can sort all that out. But a school, if a school didn't offer round-trip airfare once per year to your home of record, that would be a big red flag for me. Yeah, when it comes to purchasing the school, purchasing your ticket in, very important that you understand when that's going to happen, how that's going to happen, and <clears throat> if you find yourself in a situation where the school is asking you when can you come or gives you money to buy your own ticket, which rarely happens, when are you supposed to arrive or when are you allowed to arrive? In a lot of places, you are not allowed to arrive before a certain date. So make sure that you know whether you are allowed to show up early or not. Some people may want to do that to have a little bit of extra time to prepare or to explore before they start work. But in some places, it's simply not possible because of the terms of your work visa. So... Yeah, and some make sure that you check that. Not, yeah, well, most schools will buy your initial ticket out. Not all will. Yeah. Um, and so you have to plan that yourself and get reimbursed, which is still not ideal in my in my opinion. It's not. Um, we've done that. I was I was us for China, I believe. We booked our own ticket first, and then anyways. Um, so, but they should provide round trip airfare to your home of record, and that comes in two possible forms. Most schools tend to offer you. Uh, stipend each year that will get deposited ideally before you fly home for the summer or wherever you go but occasionally it will come after in the, the summer which can be a bit more frustrating as you may be spending all this money before you have it and praying and hoping that nothing goes wrong that it actually shows up depending on where you are um, so we'll talk first just I think the trickier one is when and the other option is schools will buy you a ticket a round-trip ticket to your home and so let's start with that because that's a little bit harder to navigate because you don't have as much leeway in terms of where you want to go so sometimes as you look through your package ask and discuss okay my round-trip airfare do I get to pay it do I get to buy it and you guys pay a set stipend or is the school purchasing me a ticket at a certain date of my choosing to and from my home of record or just handing you a ticket, here's your ticket home, and you may or may not have any say in it. Yeah. It's entirely possible. Yeah, it's possible, but that's, I don't think that's an, I don't, I, I don't think that, in our experience, I don't think we've ever seen that happen, but I'm just accounting for the possibility that it's a big world and people get ideas. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, with... Then buying your ticket, a lot of schools, and a good school, will also allow you to defer that to another time of year. Uh, they will let you defer that to maybe the winter holidays. That way, if you want to travel in the summer while the weather is nicer, you can, and they'll let you buy that ticket, and then they'll purchase your ticket over the winter holidays. Uh, so when the school is buying your ticket, that's something to bring up and discuss before you sign, as well as when you arrive, if it's not a huge issue. The other issue with that is with children. When the school is buying your ticket, uh, they may or may not always cover the round trip tickets of children or decide, they may try and decide what constitutes, what age constitutes a child needing its own seat. We've seen that happen. Yes, so it is always possible that a school may say, that they will cover a ticket for a child of a certain age, and then below that, it's your responsibility. We've seen that happen with infants and with toddlers in other schools, and that becomes a wrench that sometimes people may not be prepared for. Yeah, so that's something to discuss uh, if you have children with your HR and your new school. What do those tickets look like if they are buying them for you? Are they covering extra seats for the children because ideally you want that extra seat yeah. even though they may be uh, on your lap but it gives you the option and the freedom to have a bit more space on some of those long-haul flights which we all know even without children can be rough. Yeah, especially because the norm is that most schools will calculate prices and will purchase tickets that are round-trip economy tickets and not every airline has the same level of comfort in economy class 
You may be in a 13-hour flight in a rather narrow seat, depending on the airline that you fly. So it's something to keep in mind. Yeah. So the best option, though, is when a school gives you a flat stipend, says, here's your money, uh, you can buy your ticket home, or not. Uh, exactly. So in, 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 in our experience, the best scenario is where you get a cash stipend for your annual leave and you get to decide how that is used. If you want to go home, you go home. If you don't want to go home, you don't go home. You get to keep whatever money is left over. That's the ideal situation. Yeah, you may travel around the world and go do something else, or you may stay in country and just pocket the money, pay off debts, put it in investments, those kinds of things. Also, to um, on the note of home of records, it's important to check with your school if you are required to go back home every summer. Some countries do require that for tax purposes. So if you have to go home and you don't want to, it's something to keep in mind. Make sure that you understand what your annual leave involves. You might have to go home if you don't want, even if you don't want to, and then maybe proceed with the rest of your summer holiday. But make sure that you understand the terms of your annual leave. How can you use your money? Are you allowed to go somewhere else? Are you required to use X amount of your money? Do you have to provide boarding passes when you come back? All of that. Yeah. So we've covered housing, utilities, flights. Um, the other thing to discuss with your new school and discussing your contract are taxes. And these aren't as, I wouldn't say important. They're just as important, but they're, They'll be a bit more behind the scenes usually. Um, some countries will, you'll have to pay income tax, but oftentimes a good school will pay that for you and the salary you see on your contract is what you get. The taxes are paid on top of that. They're usually oftentimes lower than they might be in your home country. Um, sometimes a country may not have taxes and all of this has implications for, well, at least if you're American, taxes back home and is worth discussing, not with your school so much, but with a certified professional about who has experience working with expats and money earned in foreign countries. Absolutely, that is essential. Make sure that you can find a tax professional that understands how taxes abroad work. Not all countries have the same tax regimes and not all work visas have the same tax um, Concessions in some countries after a certain period of time you may have to pay certain taxes So it's important that your school lets you know what happens in the long run if you stay beyond your two years and If and that you are discussing with a tax professional how to report taxes back home if you have that obligation like Americans do So on top of that some countries do force you to pay into their local pension system um, Korea, I believe China has one. Yeah, uh, Japan does. Japan, but and so India does. And um, so talk to your school about how that works because that does come out of your paycheck usually. Sometimes on top of what you earn, sometimes you'll see your salary and it goes out. But usually you can get that back when you leave the country. There are certain regulations from country to country, depends on where you're from. But you can usually get that money back in a big lump sum when you're done. But that can change possibly your take-home pay. It can change, um, depending on how long you're there, it can change the amount of money you send back home. You may not want to send all that money home. It may be too much, and you may be taxed heavily on it in your home country. Yeah, and so it's worth having a conversation with your school about what happens to your contributions if you have to pay into the country's social security or if you have to pay into the country's pension fund um, and whether your country of nationality has a treaty with the country where you're going which may determine whether you can cash that when you leave or if you have to wait and go back or whether you are just out of luck and you don't get it. Yeah, so those are all things to consider that can be really really lovely when you leave a country. Yeah. Um, but again, it can also be really burdensome if you have too much, you could end up owing far more than you would ever expect to back home. Uh, we know friends who chose to spend their lump sum money 
because it was easier to spend it and use the rest to ship things versus paying what they would have owed in taxes on that foreign amount. Yeah, and so once again, it's something when the time comes worth discussing with a tax professional, you will necessarily have to discuss it because it'll be, it will be money that you will be receiving and will be taken into consideration for tax purposes. Yeah. So the big ones, as far as your contract go, concern housing, utilities, flights, taxes, and that's, and then the last one would be a shipping allowance. We're, we're missing professional development. Well, yeah, but as far as like the big things you really Oh, I see for. what you mean. Yeah, professional yeah, Professional yeah. developments we'll talk about, but for me, it's not as it's not a deal breaker. Right. Like the big things are, like I want to know that I'm at least comfortably, comfortable financially going into a place. Yeah. Um, so shipping allowance. There's, again, there's a lot of options here. Most schools will offer some basic form of shipping allowance, whether that's uh, by weight, by number of dependents, uh, or just per person. Um, sometimes it may not seem like enough to cover an actual shipping container. Again, talk to your school. If you're moving into a place that needs furnishing, maybe you want to ship furniture. Or if you're going into a place that's furnished, maybe you need to really reduce what you take with you. Um, and your school, as we've mentioned in a previous podcast, will usually have some companies that they can introduce you to and get you going in the process that'll work all around the world if you're not even if you're not coming from your home country um, but for many of us you know you can find what you need in your home in your new country uh, there's no need in my experience anyway to ship a huge allotment of items except for some personal effects and I'm not sure what else yeah, it really depends on your on your individual situation. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do know that in some in some cases that is the option that you have is to ship things. Um, and depending on how long you've been in certain places, you may want to take advantage of that. Um, but for the most part, what we've seen is that things are becoming more and more and more available. But on that note, that is something that definitely. I would personally be a little bit quizzical about if a school said that there's no shipping altogether, not even for like an extra check bag. Yeah, which brings me back to that along with, as we were talking about, flight allowances too. Again, there are exceptions, Western Europe being the yes, main one. If exactly. you want to work in Spain, Italy, uh, some schools in Germany, France, uh, you may not get a housing allowance, you may not get a flight allowance. You may not get a shipping allowance. Yeah. Um, it really depends. Um, yeah, some regions are definitely more generous with their packages than others because in some regions like Western Europe, you're basically an employee like everybody else. Yeah, so they does have other perks to go along with them. Of course. But, um, you know, Western Europe is generally like the holy grail for people in their twilight years of their career anyway or EU citizens for whom it's maybe a little bit easier regardless. But just know that if you have your site set on uh, Western Europe, you may not be getting as wonderful a package as you might say in Thailand, but to each their own. So just know that going into it. Yeah. That it, it might but be again, different. yeah, again, we talked about that in the triangle episode. What are you, what is more important to you? Are you, do you want to go to your dream location and maybe not make that much money? Or are you going for, I want to build a safety net and maybe be able to get more travel money and maybe the location wasn't my dream location, but I still can find a good school and interesting things to do, a good group of colleagues and so on. Yeah. So anyways, coming back to shipping allowance, most schools will let you take that shipping allowance and use it for excess luggage. Um, which is nice because then once you get there, you have all your stuff with you, assuming it doesn't get lost. Exactly. Uh, so when you do, if you do go that route, and even if you don't, you'll still probably check a bag moving to a new country. You know, buy some travel insurance and make sure that your stuff is covered in the event of lost luggage. Um, but the debt, so the upside is that, yeah, you have all your stuff with you. The downside is that it might get lost. It might get 
broken. It could ship in two. We've had things broken both shipped and in luggage. And then the other kind of really annoying thing is um, you may be left with lots of bags that you don't want. Yeah. So, you know, ideally, maybe just go to a Goodwill, buy some bags that you don't mind tossing out, or go to like a TJ Maxx and find some suitcases, and then you might be able to sell them at the end of that school year with staff, two staff that might be leaving. Yeah. So things to consider um, uh, if you ship your own baggage or if you take XX baggage, I mean. Um, the other thing is uh, pushing all those bags and dealing with them at the airport can be really stressful, and it can be really hot. When we lived and moved to Korea, we had to transfer from Incheon Airport to Gimpo Airport which meant collecting our bags at Incheon, transporting, I think, 10 suitcases plus our carry-ons. Into uh, a bus. Into a bus. an in, extra ticket for the luggage in because July, it was too much. In July, when it's like 40 degrees and like 150 billion percent humidity, <laughs> take an hour-long bus ride, transfer everything back into the Gimpo Airport, and then I don't think we spent the night that time. No, no. we were flying in the afternoon. Yeah, and then get back and then luckily there was someone there to meet you um, and a good school and every school should meet you at the airport when you arrive someone should be there yeah. to meet new hires you should not arrive and have to like figure out where to go on your own unless again you arrive you discuss with the school you want to arrive early maybe you know friends living there already that's different but that's usually what much. happens and I think that this may be part of the reason why um, stuff like admin and human resources are there ahead of everybody else is so that they can be there to meet people. So very typically the people meeting you at the airport are going to be from human resources, possibly your admin. There will be someone there. In the past we've been met by um, vice principals, we've been met by division principals, we've been met by human resources directors, but there's always yeah. someone there. It's not like a driver with a sign, that's not all it is. There will be someone from the administration, from the management of the school there to meet you. Usually. It may have been that way during COVID. Right. Um, but yeah, your admin should always meet you and they'll always, almost always return to work prior to regular staff. Whereas HR, those people, they'll work a corporate calendar where they'll have not, they won't have the same breaks as everybody else in general. Correct. Um, so, you know, as you look at your package, what is allotted for your shipping allowance? Do you get a shipping allowance? Generally, you should for excess luggage, if nothing else. Um, I would say the general range runs from probably a thousand to maybe 3500 a person depending on the school and I've location. I've seen some $500 shipping allowances out there. Yeah, I, I, I believe it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd be a little bit like, eh, I don't know about that. Um, same with flight allowances. I'd say the average is probably anywhere from two to 5000 being the norm. It just depends on what the average cost of a round-trip ticket to your home of record from the school is. So that, of course, varies by country. Yeah, um, and again, they won't generally, if a school pays you a stipend, they won't give everybody a different one. They will generally look at, all right, what's the average cost to people's main home of record? And they'll set a limit for the entire staff. So everyone will get generally the same amount, 3500 $2,750. Whereas if they buy your ticket, then obviously they're paying just for your ticket and the cost of that individual uh, ticket to your home, specific home of record. Let's wrap things up with things that may not necessarily be essential, and if they are there, they are not necessarily a deal breaker, but they're very nice to have. Well, first we'll talk about, in your contract, you should have, like a contract in your home country, uh, contact days allotted. Oh, yes. So you should, I, the norm is still on average 180 days of contact days with students, and on average about 190, 191 Total work days, again, that may vary from country to country uh, with employment laws changing yeah. or not changing. But look for that in your contract. Also discuss and in your package, what are your hours? Some schools may require you to teach an after-school activity. Some of you may, some schools may offer that as a bonus and an extra stipend. Or maybe 
You have to do one a year, for example. Those are all things to look at in your package because they can really boost your income. They can boost your depression if all of a sudden you find you're staying <laughs> till 5 p.m. every day. Yeah. Because you have to. And that wasn't initially what you thought was going to happen. Yeah. So discuss, make sure that you understand what your contract hours involve. And if there are things that are required outside of your contact time with students that are additional work. Yeah. Um, so the last thing, as Anna said, that may or may not be a deal breaker uh, that's usually included in the contract, aside from, um, and well, I guess one other thing to add very briefly is look at a tech stipend. Some schools may give you a computer. Some schools may offer you a stipend to purchase your own, which is preferable um, to versus using school-owned devices. In my experience and opinion, I like to keep my work and home life separate. Um, but take a look at that in your contract. You generally want to start school with a functioning computer device tablet that works well so you can hit the ground running. But yeah. professional development is the other one. Exactly. And that also, over time, has varied. And with the availability of online learning becoming more prevalent and higher quality, that has also changed things. And so what we've seen is that professional development takes a couple of different forms. In some schools, the norm is, you want to go to professional development, tell me what it is, fill out some form of application or maybe just have a meeting with your division principal, tell me how it fits with the school goals, how much it costs, and we will pay for it. You might not be able to do that every month, of course, but sometimes it's just a matter of a conversation. In some schools, there is a pool of money designated to pay for professional de development and everybody is supported from the same pool. That might be just one pile of money for K-12 and so of course it means that depending on how proactive people are on professional development, some people may get to enjoy some support in that way and other people don't. And then the third way in which we've seen professional development happen is you get a flat stipend every year Here's your money, use it for professional development. Some of it needs to fit the school goals. Some of it you can use it for your graduate degree or your professional development hours credits or to get a new certification or attend a workshop or whatever it may be. Yeah, so again, as Anna said, it varies from school to school and things have definitely changed with COVID. More and more is online. You know, IV programs were always online prior to COVID, but I think that teachers have found that they've learned, but their students have learned that we don't learn as well online either, uh, especially in these, these types of situations where we're generally used to engaging and being uh, inquiring learners, asking questions, practicing what we're doing versus, say, an online math course where you might be taking through a university, say, okay, I can just do the math, um, or maybe it's just the discussion model online and you're putting into practice in your own classroom for uh, an admin credentials or a PhD or something. So talk with your school about what, and look through the contract, and try to be clear as you can, like what is offered for professional development. Uh, for many of you, especially from the, at least from the United States, you will need professional development hours to maintain a license depending on where that license is from. And if the school wants to retain you, if you're a good teacher, they should provide opportunities for that to happen. Um, you know, I don't think we've ever been in a school where, where we haven't been given the opportunity to go to in-person conferences. Uh, and those have just started up again, at least here in the Middle East, more now post-COVID. Uh, it's sort of picking up steam again, which has been nice. We went to one in January. It was really, really, really nice, actually. It was really helpful. Um, and so, but, you know, that was that was part of our uh, contract. The school offered to pay for that. And, of course, we jumped on it. And, you know, you're, you're getting that it's essentially free education to make you a better teacher. And we encourage you to jump on those. But you want to be clear about what you do get and don't get, what's coming out of pocket. Maybe they'll offer to pay for registration fees, but if you need to fly or stay in a hotel, that may be out of pocket. So things to discuss and things to know for sure as you come into a new job. 
into a new country. Exactly. And, um, well, is there anything um, else in our notes that we haven't covered? Because there's something there that I want to touch on. Um, it's not the norm. It's not necessarily universal. But we've seen it pop in a couple of places, have had it before. And it's an interesting addition to compensation packages. So if you see it in a contract for a school that you're interested in, it's really nice, and it's wellness allowances. Okay. So, like in many places in the U.S. and in other um, countries, wellness allowances are supposed to be there to support staff in creating a balanced lifestyle, take care of themselves, you know. Um, and so, usually the goal is for people to engage in activities that strengthen their body and mind, help them achieve a healthier lifestyle, and so on. So a wellness allowance may be a cash stipend is the most common way that I've seen um, that is designed for you to use for things, for example, like gym memberships or a consultation with a dietitian, meal plans or meal prep services, um, equipment, classes, um, a personal trainer, even workout gear, your school will, if that exists for you, will let you know what the guidelines are. But the goal is to kind of help people um, or give people an extra encouragement on make space for yourself, take care of yourself, make sure that you're staying healthy. Because again, like we've said before, you as an employee, you as, a, as an international teacher are an investment that the school is making. And so if providing you with a little something that can help you or maybe is an encouragement for you to maybe take that Tai Chi class that you were thinking about and that helps you stay balanced, take care of yourself, and you are happier where you are, the school is going to have a better return on investment. And so it may seem like it's not related to your job, but actually it is. Okay, uh, we are running out of time, but there is one last huge thing that we didn't discuss that I totally brain farted, uh, which is healthcare. Oh, yes. Um, so as you look at your package, you want to really talk to your school and learn where you have coverage, what you have coverage for. Uh, you'll always have coverage in country. Yes. A good school will give you coverage in country, but you need to discuss with them are there copays? Can you use it at every hospital? Again, you'll be in a new place. So the cultural norms at a hospital may be different. Oftentimes, in our experience, there's places where Westerners tend to go, where you may get more Western style care or doctors that are guaranteed to perhaps speak English or there's nothing lost in translation. Um, so discuss with them what's included, copays. Um, prescription medications, pre-existing conditions, all of those kinds of things. But the bigger aspect as well would be international insurance. Does your insurance cover you back in your home country for routine visits and checkups? Or just emergency. Or emergencies, or does it cover you at all? Um, that's really important to know if you are traveling, whether in your home country or not, what coverage is provided because you then may need to pick up your own travel insurance. And uh, we do have actually uh, on our page a little blurb about different insurances that you can look at, both for travel as well as expat insurance in general, if you are moving abroad and your employer doesn't provide that. But discuss and look through your contract what's included in your health insurance. And say, oh yeah, worldwide is included, or this is included. Double check to make sure that, okay, that might what not What does cover. worldwide mean? And does it apply to me as a citizen of X country and yeah. all of that? So worldwide might just mean, oh, okay, well, if you get into a car accident in Canada, you can get covered. But not if uh, you catch pneumonia and you have to go get, see a regular doctor for an x-ray and some medication. Right. So you really want to know that distinction so you don't show up. Well, I guess Canada's different. They have better health care anyway. Okay, so if you're in the U.S., <laughs> That's a stupid example. So if you're in the U.S., uh, <coughs> you want to make sure that you're covered, um, or at least maybe if you're not covered, you want to know that you're not covered for routine checkups or emergencies. So that's something that you really want to know, especially um, as you get older or if you have pre-existing conditions or things that you need to keep an eye on. 
So I think the, the, the parting message from this episode is these are some elements of a compensation package in most international schools that you can expect. However, it's very important that you as an incoming employer really go into understanding what each of those benefits mean, how they may change over time, and to what extent they apply to you and to members of your family. Yeah. So again, one of the big things to look for and know specifics about in your contract are your housing, your flights, your health care, your taxes, and your, what was the last one? Healthcare. No, 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 no. And your shipping allowance. Right. Those are really the big things you want to know before you go anywhere. There's other allotments such as pensions and um, professional, professional development, development but, and, and wellness. You know, wellness is not a deal breaker. It's not, I wouldn't say common in schools yet, but I do see it up and coming, which is good. Um, so those are things to really look out for and pay attention to as you get your contract, sign your contract, and move in country. Yeah, and of course, just because you got them in the beginning, it doesn't mean that they're going to last in perpetuity over the time that you stay at an international school. So if you get an email from HR saying that something is changing, make sure that you read it. Yeah, so that pretty much wraps us up for this episode. We'll be back next week. Well, we'll look at expectations for when you arrive and what to expect in your first couple weeks of school, as well as the... Um, not just the expectations for a new school and international community, but the cultural norms and standards you might deal with as far as your students, local, cur local currency, local population, local students, things like that. Yeah, so if you found this helpful, make sure to give it a thumbs up if you're on YouTube. Leave us reviews on Spotify. It really does help make sure that this content reaches the people that may be most interested in it. And, of course, we are always available and ready to engage in our social media platforms, which are all at Nomadic Gregors. We will see you next time with a new episode. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.